Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Jen Amos here with the Filipino American Woman Project podcast show. And as always, I have my incredible co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. Hey, everybody. What's up? And we are stoked like we always are. I feel like I need to come up with more adjectives other than stoked and excited because whatever, fill in the blank. We're pretty excited. We're pretty (laughs) blank about this episode because every time we do another show, it means that we get to introduce another incredible woman in our Filipina uh, community who is living in America or used to live in America and is of Filipino descent. So let me introduce you all to Kara Fabea. She is an ethical fashion blogger and founder of The Flipside. She sheds light on Philippine ex-creatives and designers. She discusses her own mental health from time to time, and she's decided to pursue a less linear path by pursuing creative endeavors like at The Flipside. Flip has two Ps in it. Her journey towards ethical and sustainable fashion is also imperfect. Kara, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Pretty great. Pretty great. I almost forgot to press record because we were already talking offline for like 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that could have gone for a while. But why don't we start, Kara, by you sharing, how did you hear about this project? And more importantly, why did you choose to be on our show with us today? So I heard about this through my sister who actually recently did an interview with you guys. And serendipitously, I also happened to run into Nani a couple of weeks ago at a Philippines creatives community event in San Francisco. And to be honest, though, in terms of sharing my story, I I never really thought about sharing my story. It kind of just fell into my lap. But what I will say is that my sister, who also decided to pursue a less linear path, inspired me to pursue the dream of the flip side. Awesome. That is so beautiful. I'm just curious, what is the age difference between you and your sister? I think a couple of years. A little over two years, actually. So yeah, we're pretty close. Oh, very cool. Very cool. I was watching her, I was watching a video on her Instagram about what inspired her to write her book. And she had mentioned that she, before she even conceived the idea of the book, she used to write love letters to you on like lessons and about life and stuff like that. Is that, does that sound about right? Uh, She did. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you try to have like weekly phone calls when we're not as busy and the love letters I seen from time to time, it's more motivational pep talks that I tend to get from her whenever I've been like anxious or stressed or, or even happy. It usually happen with phone calls. But yeah, when I decided to pursue the flip side, she definitely gave me more and more pep talks and notes and messages of like encouragement for it. I think that's so beautiful. I'm just prying into your relationship with your sister because I have <laughs> I have a younger sister and yeah. there's a part of me that had always wished that she would consider the non-linear path. 
And right. not, not that I'm trying to force her and if my sister's listening, because I think she listens to these shows. I love you, <laughs> Josephine. But I always thought it would be so cool. I mean, in the past, we tried doing sales together. But then eventually, like she tried, like after college, she had traveled the world for like two years. And I think she was like in, in Spain for about a year as well. And then you know, she currently lives in New York and she's working, I, I believe, a, an admin job and then trying to pursue her art uh, on the side. But every time I felt like she started to kind of ask me like entrepreneurial type questions, I would like light up. <laughs> but I've always been that kind of sister. At least I think I am. So Josephine, if you're hearing this, you let me know. But I'd like to believe that I was always that sister that would always just kind of meet her where she's at. And then if she needed advice, I would give it to her. And then if I wanted to give her unsolicited advice, I would say to her like, well, I really want to give you advice right now, but I know you're not asking for that. But if you do ask for it, I have something to tell you. And so, <laughs> so I think, I think my question along that is if you have you ever felt like your sister was maybe like hovering over you or like trying to help you like with your life or, you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> it feels pretty in sync with what you're telling me about your relationship, or at least how you view your relationship with your sister. I have felt that at times she's, as you know, she's like a brand storyteller. And so she likes to, you know, create narratives for people, or at least help direct people to the narrative that they want. And I think she always tries to do that for me whenever we have these conversations about like my life path. And even more so since she started her business. So it definitely feels like that sometimes. Sometimes I accept it. Other times I fight it, maybe because inherently I feel it can be inherently, I feel like it's invasive because, you know, when we're your siblings. And so there's more of a dynamic of like, because you love them they're, and they're always going to be in your life, you can fight them more. Mm. And I think, and that's not in necessarily like a negative way, obviously, but like, I do feel that sometimes with her, like she really, she can view this path for me that maybe I don't see as clearly myself. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, I, I think it, I think it does. Like I get a yeah. sense of like, I feel like when you're talking, I feel like sometimes, like I feel a sense of what my sister would probably tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so it's just really cool to kind of live vicariously through what you're saying. And I think it's awesome. I think the, the sister dynamic is always a, quite fascinating to me because I have a very special place in my heart for my sister. And uh, yeah, there's a part of me that wants to protect her. But there's also a part of me where it's like, she's her own human being. And I can learn a lot from her. I remember in the past when people would ask me who my role model was, and she's five years younger than me, I would tell people my sister, my sister's my role model, because it's so fun to kind of experience life through her perspective, because she didn't have to deal with the expectations that my brother and I had to go through with our parents, so like trying to be, right. you know, my brother was the eldest son, I was the eldest daughter, like, we got to make it work, we had to be the example to our oh, younger yeah. sister. And my sister she was the first one to actually move out of the house at 18. I moved out like at 25 and she was the one that was able to be adventurous. And I feel like her success is really our success because we were able to create that safe environment for her to just go exploring. And, and as she continues yeah. to go exploring today and, and everything. So anyway, I'm just rambling about my sister now. <laughs> how, no, that's so sweet. I, I, it's, it's really endearing to hear how, uh, what is the age difference between you guys? So my older brother, he's a year and a half, we're a year and a half apart. And I and my sister and I are five years. So I'm actually the okay. middle child. But 
my mom like placed a lot of responsibility on me growing up. And I, I think it's probably because of that female like dynamic. Oh, and yeah. so a lot of times I would have been mistaken in our family that I was the eldest sibling just because of the way that I carried myself. But yes, we are five years apart. I totally gave you a long answer there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I love hearing. I mean, obviously this is, this is what it's all about, this podcast, hearing more stories about other Filipino-American women. So I am happy to hear it. Yes. Well, it's cool. I, I just have this special place in my heart for people, for like younger siblings and only children. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I just, I just feel like I have to take care of all of them or, <laughs> or like whatever. Oh, but... Jen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Donnie, are you, you're an only child, aren't you? Uh, are technically, you? yes. Technically. technically. Okay. I'm, I'm the only one from my mom and my dad. That's my it. dad has been married a few times. So I have a couple of sets of step siblings. And then I also have a half brother that I've never met. But other than that, I'm yeah. by myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the first time I'm hearing that. But also, I just feel like it continues to affirm why we get along so well on the show. Yes. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So for our listeners. <laughs> it, it all makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. So for all our listeners, Nani and I have a lot in common, we discovered. So first of all, we discovered that we're both December babies. So she's the Yay. 21st. Yeah, 21st, and I'm the 15th. And then we discovered we're both Sagittarius. <laughs> so Yes, even more rare. <laughs> yes, that's right. So uh, not that I'm like a big Zodiac sign person, but I get told quite often that I'm a typical Sagittarius person. So yeah, yes, there's that. But I'm okay. still kind of unclear on what that entails. <laughs> yes, I am too. I always, I never quite understood that either. You know, like I, I exude Scorpio traits. A lot of people say yeah. like there there's this post that I, I put up like a couple of days ago on my Instagram account. And one of my like good, like ethical fashion friends was like, that's such a Scorpio thing to say. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that a compliment or an insult? <laughs> I, I think it was meant to be just like a funny, humorous thing. She yeah. actually happens to be fr- become friends with a lot of Scorpios. So, cause she's, oh, she's not, okay. so she notices those things. Yeah. She does. Yeah. She definitely likes yeah. to point them out, which I love. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I she have... probably knows a lot more about Scorpios than you do being a Scorpio. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'll have to pick her brain more about that. <laughs> yeah. I have a, a girlfriend like that. Shout out to my friend, Leia. She's all about signs. <laughs> And she talks about it all the time. And I don't have it memorized, but like the way she'll talk, it's just like, wow. Like, I mean, I, I'm not going to look up a dictionary to find out these signs, but I mean, if it helps you like navigate <laughs> life, yeah, if it helps you navigate life, good for you. That's, yeah, yeah. that's all that matters. Yeah. So I, I have another way of like figuring out, like in, in our work, we identify people based on their personalities. And like, for example, we say, oh, you must be a blue because you're very system oriented and detail oriented. Or like, mm-hmm. like, for example, my husband is a yellow because he's all like, he's like the big visionary, big idea guy. He's the one that tends to like have people come flock to him because of his ideas and stuff and, yeah. and whatever. And then you have like the red who's very go, 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 get things done, very, very task oriented. And then you have the green who does things out of loyalty. So you think of like, if I were to describe all those as, as like dogs, which I actually cannot right now, I don't even know why I'm going to try this right now, but like a red would be like a pit bull. A green would be like a lab. A blue would be like, I don't know of any dog that's like methodical, like a chihuahua. I don't know. Maybe like a Shiba Inu or 
There you go. There you go. Like, yeah, <laughs> one of those, those, those type of dogs that are kind of uptight and like picky and yeah. territorial. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's that sounds perfect. like a shiba inu. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Perfect. And then, and then what was the other color? It was, yeah. So green's a lab, red's a pit, blue. And then yeah. I know I'm missing it. Did I say four colors already? Okay. Wait, blue, red, yellow, green. Green. Okay, I feel like I said them all. Anyway, I'm gonna move on from this. I'm totally okay. getting off topic. <laughs> totally getting off topic. It's it's sort of one more thing I wanted to share is like it's sort of like I've been told before, like years ago. I was I, I had this like uh, like older lady like in her 40s or something. She just said to me, "You're such a millennial." Like she said that. And literally, no joke, I didn't know what that meant at the time. Like, I feel like millennial has been a very popular word in the recent years, but I really had to, I actually researched into it and I, I later got to find like, okay, I could see a lot of those traits, like totally being me. So I guess she like, she rightfully stereotyped me. <laughs> yeah. So that was my last thought on that. Okay. We are moving on. We are moving on. This is not, this is not the Jen show. Okay. Kara, Kara. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> So this show is really about highlighting stories and life lessons told by individuals living or who have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female or she, her. And so we'd love to hear a little bit about your family background and also why you identify as a Filipino American woman. So I'm a first gen. I identify as like a Filipino American woman in the sense that I still feel very predominantly Filipino raised because my parents were immigrants, now U.S. citizens. And so I felt, and I think most gens can tell you that they feel this way, that it is a struggle to kind of balance your parents and grandparents and relatives, like cultural values without having been born into that culture. I mean, you're born into it by your parents who are Filipino, but you're born into a society that tells you to assimilate. and. I think I remember a time when, or I think this might've been like a discussion that my sister and I had of like growing up and we were speaking Taglish when we were toddlers. Cause you know, like we grew up with our parents speaking English and Tagalog. And, and so we'd pick up on, on certain phrases here and there that were Tagalog. And so we'd go to preschool or kindergarten and like use some of those terms, not knowing at the time, like what the English phrases were or the English translations were yeah and I remember this one time I don't know I was like in a tickle fight or something with like another classmate it was probably like kindergarten or first grade and I said like don't tickle my kili kili which is like armpit right Mm -hmm. and I didn't know that it was called an armpit and I think maybe like after that, and I was like trying to tell my teacher like that, that, that this was happening, not like telling on my friend, but basically just like telling her that this was happening. And she was like, what is a kili kili? And I was like this, and I kept pointing to my armpit. And, and I think like maybe that or something else had like spawned, stemmed like a conversation or discussion rather with my teacher and my mom about like, hey, you need to teach, you you need to make sure that your kids are speaking, that you're speaking English in the household more often because certain phrases they're using aren't English. And it's sometimes hard to understand, which isn't, I get that in some ways, but also like that's part of our culture. That's part of, that's something that we can't, we shouldn't necessarily have to erase. But yes, it was was just interesting. It's definitely something that stuck. 
anyways, but yeah, in terms of like my background now or my background, my family and just growing up, I grew up like most Filipino American families do just like lots of extended family over and and relatives. And so it was very lively during the weekends, which was always fun. But I think education was always like a huge priority for my parents, as I'm sure both of you probably know as well. It's something they, they wanted to allow us more opportunities. But I think in a lot of the schools that I went to, there definitely felt like there was a divide between like my school days and my weekends. Like I was bridging two different worlds just because on the weekends you're with people who look and eat and think like you and it's loud and rambunctious and fun and comfortable and familiar. And then like you go to school and it's different. You're having to kind of readjust your mindset. And I don't know if this, if you guys identify with this feeling at all, but I, I, I feel like I'm probably not the only first gen Filipino or even whatever who probably felt that. So yeah, I think. And then after that, during my most formative years, we actually, my sister and I transferred to boarding schools out East. And so I felt an even bigger kind of distinction between like this world that like I knew with my family and my relatives and then this new world that I was kind of thrown into. And I definitely had to learn to adapt pretty quickly and kind of assimilate like certain norms, I guess. When I did come home for breaks, it definitely felt harder to connect with relatives and like family friends. I really did feel like I was missing out on a lot of what like my fellow Filipino American friends were doing. And so I felt really pulled in two directions. And I think I said that earlier, you know, like I felt like I, was, I had like one foot in this world that my parents worked really hard to get me into. And then the other was just this old familiar feeling of Filipino cultural values, but it felt really foreign because I was gone most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, Well, by those standards, I feel like <laughs> you are definitely a Filipino American woman because you have to constantly shift your mindset depending on who you're around. And I feel like that's a lot of our experience, at least the common right. experience that a lot of us have in this community. Definitely. Definitely. I was just going to say that I can definitely relate to the whole feeling like you're living in two different worlds. When I was younger growing up, really, I didn't have any Filipino-American friends. Well, not any, but very few outside of my own family. And so what I knew about the Filipino culture was pretty much only within the context of my own family. I was an only child and my parents were divorced. So I spent half of my time in a house being an only child with my mom and then half of the time in a household with my dad, which was either with a step family, which had a lot of kids around, or we were always also staying with my grandma or my grandpa, which also like a bunch of my other uncles and aunties and cousins would be staying in the same at the same time. And so I was always surrounded by like this big family on my dad's side and like a complete opposite 180 on my mom's side. And then you throw in going to a school. I went to school in Oakland and not that there's not Filipinos in Oakland, but back then where I went to school, there wasn't, it was primarily white, black or Latino. I'm sorry, Latinx 
and I really didn't know much about, like I said, the Filipino culture outside of my own family. So there was definitely that need to code switch, as we've said before. That's become, like Jen said, just part of the nature of who we are. Can you just imagine, like, I don't know, just being a white person that, like, never has to code switch? Could you imagine, like, what that would look like? (laughs) Right. Like, how much time would that free up? How much, like, brain space would that free up? Yeah. It's like those little microaggressions that you experience while you're in those environments that are so nuanced. They're really hard to kind of bring to the surface if you're not in an environment like this where it's kind of an arena for you to throw around and play with ideas based on your experiences. But if you don't have that space, it's kind of hard to identify those microaggressions and and learn how it's how to address them. And I think that that's why essentially we all do the code switching thing so that we just don't have to explain ourselves. Yeah. No, it's easier. It's easier because you're better at uh, readjusting. Right. Like I'll just become whoever I'm around so that they don't notice that I'm not one of them. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Jen Amos here jumping into the middle of our show as I always do to remind you why this show is possible. So, you know, at the end of every episode, I tend to say, if you didn't catch our guest contact info, don't worry, we'll have those in the show notes. Check them out. I work so hard on them. You're welcome. Well, it's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as I thought, which is why starting summer 2020, the Filipino American Woman Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome, as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the philam, short for filipinoamericanwoman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thephilamwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. No, I totally get that. I mean, as someone who switched schools pretty often growing up and again, like leaving for the East Coast and not being and being away from family for years, I definitely felt that I did have to adapt really quickly and really often. And it's interesting too, because like I grew up mostly with a lot of Filipino American friends and family. And, and then, you know, like, as soon as I left, I felt obviously like the majority of my friends, there were a lot of international students where I was, but predominantly, it was like Caucasian people. And Mm -hmm. I did feel that because I, it was always deemed as like a positive thing for us to adapt, even like, from our parents, like, you just have to adapt, right? It was encouraged. It was, it was definitely encouraged. I think, I remember, you know, whenever I'd come home or whenever my my mom or dad would visit to see me, like one of the first things that my mom would ask would be, 
are you making any friends? Like, how are your friends? And I would tell them, you know, they're, they're, they're nice. They're great. And she'd always ask like, uh, what are they? And I'm sure that, that's a question that's always asked. And usually like, I would always be like, oh, are they Caucasian? And it just so happened to be that, yeah, most of them probably, they were Caucasian. And I always thought of it as a really positive thing that I could gravitate towards mostly Caucasian people that meant that I was adapting really well. And so I'd come home for breaks and then I'd I'd see old family friends that I hadn't seen in, in months or years even. And it was hard to identify with them, like, or readjust to that. There was this inherent feeling of not quite feeling as accepted as I, I once was because it was the life that I was choosing for myself or that was essentially thrust upon me going to boarding school. It, I was considered in some ways like an other. And I think that like, we we sort of talked about that, I think, at the Hollow Hollow Collective event. I don't know if you remember or that, Nani, but like just Filipino-American women can come from all different types of backgrounds and be mixed or whatever. And it doesn't make them less Filipino. You know what I mean? Right. It actually contributes to the experience. It completely contributes to the experience. And I think I always struggled. I think when I got here to San Francisco, kind of established myself a little bit more and started to want to reconnect with my fa- like, you know, my relatives out here and found the Hollow Hollow Collective. I struggled with looking back at how my behavior was and how, like just to have to adjust and adapt to a most like a predominantly like Caucasian group of friends. And I, I struggled to like look back at those times and understand that like I was pushing back a part of my identity that was always there and maybe felt that it, it wasn't good enough for society or whatever. But now that I'm out here, I'm starting to realize that they can essentially cohabit one another. Or so coexist. Coexist, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's still a struggle sometimes. I, whenever I do see relatives like out here, I do feel sometimes that we can't, or in the very least, they don't want to understand where I'm coming from or like how my experiences were a little different from theirs. Because what different sometimes means to them, oh, she thinks she's better than me, better than me, or oh, like, she doesn't understand, like, she's not here all the time. She's not always seeing her relatives. She's not always there to support and be part of every single Filipino gathering. It's either it's kind of black or white. And I don't know if that's something that you guys have ever experienced with your family or like family friends, but I definitely feel from time to time that with my family that it has, I have to either be fully in or fully out. And it sucks to say the least. You know, my experience with my family, and, and I, I, I totally can relate to that. And then also in a way where I, I think my side of it, I feel like the best way I can explain it is that I actually have this mental block with a lot of my family and my relatives. And so I had mentioned this in previous episodes, but I, ha- I grew up with a lot of abuse. I had dealt with emotional abuse and neglect, uh, financial abuse, and I was molested every time I would visit the Philippines by my first cousin. So for me, when I think about my family, it, I feel unsafe 
And so, but also, even if I did come forward with a lot of these issues, which I did, I experienced a lot of emotional neglect. And I think it's just a cultural thing. I noticed a, a cultural thing within my family where, and I'm sure a lot of other families can relate to this as well, but they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to be confrontational. And right. so for me, rather than try to like, be around my family and not my immediate, my immediate family. Like we're cool. Like I love my immediate family. I'm going to see them for the holidays after I see Nani in San Francisco. (laughs) But yeah, so immediate family is cool, but like cousins and other relatives, it's just difficult for me because I I just think to myself, like I could come back and, and be this more mature person, like grounded person that could just try to be myself around them. But I've come to a place where I'm like, just because like the hardest thing about a lot of my relationships in my family is that I feel like they're toxic, but for so long I had dealt with it because they're family. <laughs> and right. so, so I put up with all of it. I put it up with all of it. And now I've come to this place where I'm like, I've, I've learned that if you find yourself in an abusive relationship, you need to get the fuck away from it. So excuse my, line, my language. It's like, and unfortunately, I had felt that way with my family. And it, had I tried to even confront them about it, like no one wants to talk about it. So I would not yeah. be surprised if my family actually listens to the show and they're not going to tell me anything about it. Like I, I had like two years ago, I was actually for Filipino American History Month. Two years yeah. ago, I was featured on a local newspaper and I had shared all that. I, sh- I shared my uh, the abuse that I went through and the neglect and getting molested. And it, it was so interesting because my family on Facebook, my relatives actually liked the article when I posted it on Facebook. And my, my molester, mm-hmm. my cousin, he actually liked it too. But oh in terms of like reaching out nothing. There was no like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you went through that. Like it was all about like, oh my gosh, Jen's been featured. Not about, oh my gosh, yeah. Jen's been hurt. Yeah. You know, she's been yeah. bruised. Like, did they even read <laughs> right, it? Like, did you even read it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so there's a part of me that has just gone to a place where I'm just so unapologetic, kind of putting them under the spotlight because it's not like you all can like research into me and find them anyway. Like I don't show them anywhere on social media for the most part. So, but I have to share that. It's, it's my truth. And for a long time, I felt like I had to hide that story because I didn't want to offend them. Right. And so for me, I, I just feel like, like I've just, in, in my situation, I just don't even bother. Like, I just don't even bother to be around like my relatives. Cause it's just like, it's, it's not my life's mission right now to like bond right. with them. And I have yeah. found a safer environment doing this podcast show and learning about my culture and my heritage that like, and, and, and I'm, I'm finding healing in what we're doing on the show. And if this is, if it's going to take me I don't know, hundreds of episodes before I finally feel comfortable to be around my family, then so be it. But not today. (laughs) Not today. (laughs) I get that. Well, I'm really sorry that that happened to you, by the way. I thank you. Yeah. That's yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) I definitely get that same. I mean, I think that the code switching thing for me at this point is probably the most prominent when I'm around my own family which has been really frustrating for me to deal with just because I feel like your family is supposed to be your, your soft, comfy landing. You need (laughs) when you need something or when you're feeling down. And for me, my family is what triggers me. Mm -hmm. My family is the toxicity, if that's a word in my life right now. And just like you said, Jen, I'm at a place in my life right now where I just, I cannot continue to, 
bend over backwards and break my own back on their behalf. I have to start working on standing up straight on my own. And that's what I found here. And I'm just so like glad that I've been able to, like you said, Jen, find another way to connect with my, my heritage and my culture. I feel like my, my grandparents were the last people that really made me feel safe like that. And now that they're both, they've both passed away. This is how I find that, that soft, yeah. healthy landing. Definitely. I feel like we're all like orphans in our own families and we found each other. We've adopted each other. <laughs> we have a new family. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which is better, which I like. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. I love it very much. Well, awesome. Thank you all of us for sharing. <laughs> Let's go ahead and fast forward to your life today, Kara. So for people that are getting to know you for the first time, why don't you share a snapshot of your life, particularly what keeps you busy and most excited about life nowadays? Oh, well, you caught me at a really good time. Uh, It's been quite busy for me recently. It feels pretty good right now. So I've been trying to pivot career-wise for a little while right now. So like I I have a full-time job, but the flip side is essentially also kind of like a full-time job, but it is my side hustle at the moment. But I actually just got hired at a company that's definitely more aligned with my values in terms of like the sustainable fashion industry. So I am in the process of transitioning into that right now. So that's been really exciting. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. On top of that, I'm actually working to finally build a website for the flip side. So I've been basically like doing my full-time job doing stuff for the flip side, as well as like working on this really kind of intensive brand clarity workshop for it. So it's definitely asking me a lot of like the hard questions, but also I just, I need to get this launched and I'm really excited to see how it turns out. The people that I teamed up with, I say I'm, I'm really confident in like their abilities. So very excited about that. But in terms of just like daily life, well, I live in San Francisco, obviously. And I've been living here for, well, on and off for, I can't even think right now, maybe (laughs) six years now, I I think. Yeah, pretty much six years on and off now. And but yeah, my days, as I said earlier, my days are pretty heavily scheduled. I've got endless notes in my planner and calendar alerts. Otherwise, I just forget most of the things that I need to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, essentially, yeah, like having a full-time I think that's a millennial thing, too. (laughs) It is a millennial thing. So it's not, it's not, if someone told me I'm such a millennial, I would be like, yes, I am. (laughs) But but anyways, yeah, so uh, the full-time job right now is obviously takes up most of my days. And then, of course, working on the flip side, which I said earlier, feels almost like another full-time job, but one that I happen to love very much. On my days off, honestly, or during my lunch breaks, or even in the evenings after work, I'll just be planning more content, uh, connecting with brands, coming up with ideas for another shoot, researching more about sustainability and ethics, just so that I'm doing my homework. And of course, hitting up networking events like Hollow Hollow Collective, which I love. It definitely has connected me to a lot of really amazing Filipino-American women out here. Well, and I met Nani there. So that was a really nice surprise. Yeah. So as far as the flip side goes, and that's really kind of my my main sort of passion right now, obviously for most, as most influencers in general, like 
most influencers probably understand the hustle, especially if they have full-time jobs as well. But a lot of people don't realize how much goes on behind the scenes. And I really commend anyone who does this and executes it very effortlessly. But yeah, I mean, in spite all of the time management that goes into it, I do love it. This is definitely the first time in my life where this hustle feels worthwhile and genuine to who I am and what I've been dreaming of for a while. And as far as, you know, fun goes, I definitely just try to cultivate and maintain a community of friends who are very passionate about what they do. I also actually have a partner who's in the creative field as well. He works in the film industry. So we kind of like to feed off of each other's energy and bounce ideas off of one another. So he's shout out to Craig. He's incredibly wonderful and very patient with me. (laughs) I tend to go off on a tangent sometimes about career and the flip side and hoping that they'll merge eventually. And he's always there. He's like, he, I think he's tied with my sister in terms of like number one fan. So Mm. it's, it's really, really nice. Yeah. I love it. So I have to ask, what is the flip side about? <laughs> so the flip side, oh yeah. So the flip side is really about me representing a lot of ethical and sustainable fashion brands or, and just promoting slow fashion in general. When I was in college, I started blogging, started to become a thing. I did actually have a blog that I started writing about fashion and I started posting outfits and it eventually fell to the wayside just because of school and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it. And so, yeah, that kind of like got swept under the rug. And then fast forward to like a couple of years ago, this Instagram thing obviously was a really good sort of introductory thing for a lot of people who wanted to pursue fashion and being an influencer. And, you know, at that point, I had really started to rethink my shopping habits, my consumer habits. And when you're living in a place like San Francisco, everyone's fairly conscious about, you know, like what they're eating and where they're shopping and asking a lot more questions. I mean, we're in a time where we should be doing that. But yeah, I started to kind of, my brain started to churn a little bit more. And I was like, I I really need a creative outlet right now. And I've, my friends are always coming to me for like fashion advice or like, where did I get this thing or whatever. And I was like, why don't I start an Instagram account for specifically slow fashion? And so I don't know if if you guys know much about like the slow fashion world, but basically it's just anti-fast fashion. People like me try to just like shed light on, you know, circular fashion. So, you know, like vintage shopping, thrift shopping, wearing brands that I guess, encourage capsule wardrobes or brands who focus on the sustainability aspect, like in terms of their materials and or they focus on like the factories and how ethical those are. And so I started this account and then it kind of started to blow up a little bit more. And I started doing, I started shooting a lot more often. And then all of a sudden you're getting brands kind of flooding your inbox and you start having brand sponsorships, which is super fun. And yeah, now I'm just trying to sort of monetize it a little bit more, and which is why I'm starting the website. So yeah, I mean, it taught, I shed light mostly on ethical and sustainable fashion, but you know, every once in a while, I'll have like a really raw tidbit about my mental health. I suffer from anxiety, uh, which definitely led to bouts of depression on and off throughout the years. 
And yeah, so I'll talk about that. I'll shed light on that like every once in a while on my feed. But yeah, I definitely feel like I need more of a platform, aka like a website to talk about all the things that I'm super passionate about more in depth. So yeah, that's what the flip side is. And as far as the name goes, so flip, I mean, that's like another way of saying another kind of abbreviation for Filipina. And I tried to do the flip uh, with just one P, but I guess that was taken. So I just put two P then. <laughs> so there you go. That's why it's, it's spelled wrong, but it's, <laughs> it was just taken. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's very clever and I, I love your feed. I've been thinking for myself, like I, I haven't updated like my personal Instagram account, I think since like March, like it's been some time now. And I've been thinking long and hard about like, I was like, should I, should I consider doing some kind of influencer stuff only because like I do these podcast shows and people are finding my personal accounts that I haven't updated. And I'm just like, and, and when I do post stuff on there, it's usually on stories and it's just like dumb shit, you know, that I put on uh, there. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like, I, I've been thinking long and hard about like considering something like that, like to do with my feed and everything. And I just have to say, like, I, I just love your feed. I mean, Thank do you, you have like, do you have like a photographer that follows you around everywhere? Or you're like, you see a stranger like, hey, do you mind just taking a picture of me? against this wall like no big deal like how, how is that like if you don't mind me asking I, well I definitely don't have the balls to do that I would be super <laughs> self-conscious of doing that but I know I know a lot of pioneers in the, like the fashion influencer space have definitely done that I actually so like I said my boyfriend's actually in the like film industry he's like freelance and so he has like a good eye for lighting and he has like a really nice camera so I when I first started doing this as more of like a hobby he was shooting me and he had fun with it and I was comfortable with him. So it made more sense. But as it started to, as I started to need to shoot more frequently, I, I did hire a photographer who's super cool. He's also Filipino. Shout out to Nico. That's my photographer. He's awesome. And yeah, so like, I, I definitely feel comfortable with him. So if I'm not shooting with Craig or if Craig's too busy, I'll usually hire somebody. And I, I tend to shoot in bulk. So I'm, I'm sure you see on my feed, like, it's definitely like a lot of like repeat things, like outfits that ki I kind of tend to scatter throughout the feed to make it look more cohesive. But yeah, I have a lot of fun with it. I'm excited to see where it's going once the website's launched. We're definitely trying to hone my aesthetic a little bit more. Well, I love it. And you look Thank great. You. All of your photos. And I feel like you just shared some good social media advice for anyone that was interested yeah. in being an influencer. So thank you for, for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. I want to check in with Nani real quick. Did you have any thoughts you wanted to share before I ramble on? <laughs> no, I'm just listening, taking notes. I'm actually working on setting up my, like a real website for my blog as well, which I've just had like a free, a free blog thus far. So just listening to your tips. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm still trying to figure it out as I go as well. So I will well, stay stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. We'll have to have like coffee or something because you oh, have definitely. a lot of good, good tips. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. we can have coffee anytime between December 17th and December yes. 17th because that's when I'll be in town. <laughs> I would love yes, that. I think we can oh. make that work. Sure. I'd that would love be it. amazing. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to put this out there in the universe and to our listeners, but we don't have a website yet. 
And I have been thinking about this for literally years, like since I started this project. And I just, you know, I have a lot of excuses as to why I, we haven't put together an ep- a website yet. But that's definitely something that I'm looking toward doing in 2020. It's just that right now, the priority for me is getting our stories out there, like through this podcast show. So that's a primary focus. And also if anyone, like not that I've ever had anyone complain about our Instagram feed, because I literally just have like what, like 20 pictures on there for the Filipino American woman. Like, I, I have a plan for that, y'all. So just just be patient. There's a lot of work Thank that you. gets put behind Yay. the scenes for publishing an episode, first of all. Yeah. And and also like doing I like doing the stories because I feel like it's not as committal. Like I feel like you just like take a picture and do a quick video and like that's just easy. And I don't know. I, I feel kind of very intimidated by the feed. I'm admitting that now. It's, it seems very intimidating. I feel like I have to like post influencer type like status, like type um, images really on there. Don't. You really don't. You're doing yeah. a great job, honestly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, all things come in good timing. So if anyone is ever wondering about like our uh, like our Instagram and and other social media stuff, just it it you know it takes it takes time. But I always believe I've the beginning of this year. I have told myself that I want to do things right and not do them fast. Because I've done that. I've done things fast and it did not get me to very pretty places. So I just want to thank the community and our listeners for your patience. And uh, if, if you miss us so much, just repeat an episode. <laughs> There's plenty of episodes that you can listen to again and again and again and again. So Kara, so tell me if this is like what you consider like slow fashion. Okay. So back in San Diego, when I was living there for like 20 years, before I moved to Virginia, my friends and I used to come together like at our church and do clothing swaps. And so we would just kind yeah. of pull our clothes from like the back of the closet, clothes that we, th- we thought we'd wear one day, but we never mm-hmm. did. And we could never fit in no matter how like hard we try to convince ourselves. So yeah, we just pull that out from the closet and then we just had clothing swaps. And till this day, I... I mean, I did, I did order like new clothes, like in the last year or two, but for the most part, most of the things I wear are from my friends. So is that slow fashion? I I guess that could be considered in like the circular fashion space, which I guess is associated to slow fashion. And I think that's amazing that you do that and have been doing that. Cause like, that's that's like a huge thing now. I actually just got like asked to participate in a clothing swap with a bunch of other influencers or or whoever, like slow fashion peeps. And yeah, I've actually never done one of those myself. I've always gotten invited to them, but like for whatever scheduling reasons or whatnot, it's just never happened. But yeah, no, that's definitely considered it. I think, you know, there's, I like, I could, go on and on about like the the slow fashion ethical fashion space but yeah clothing swaps are really really cool and I think that it should be encouraged even more yeah I uh I mean I used to do okay so so back in high school when I used to do uh, student government it was like one of the first times like I was required to wear a dress to go to dances and stuff like that I was like I hate this but I had to, I had to wear a dress anyway so what I used to do I don't think this is slow fashion in any way. I feel like this is me just like messing with the system. But I would go to I would go to a I don't want to like say the brand because if for whatever reason they hear this, but I would go I would go to a store. <laughs> I would go to a store and I would find a dress and I would buy it. I would keep the receipt and I would keep the tag on the dress. I'd wear that dress to the dances and then the very next day I would return it. And that was that was my version of like I don't know, slow fashion. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that, I think we've all you know, done that. <laughs> we've definitely done that before. Yeah. I just like would have been worried about like 
sweat stains or something after a dance. So props to you for, for doing oh, that. <laughs> I, I got so comfortable doing that that because I was super like I was super frugal and resourceful back in the day I, I got it from my mama she was a single mother so <laughs> like I learned a lot from her but not that she bought no yeah she always made it a habit to return stuff like even on Christmas day when we would open up our presents the first yeah. thing she would say is do you like it if not I'll return it like that's what she would literally <laughs> say the moment we open up our presents <laughs> That's so funny. And so, yeah, so she always kept the receipts. But anyway, I remember there was this one dress. It was my prom dress. Mm -hmm. And the tag was just stained, you know, like you could almost like not read the label. But the store still took it. Like they still took it. So, you're probably talking about Nordstrom. I'm going to say no. (laughs) But but it's a yes. It's okay because everybody knows that Nordstrom has that policy. And I think that they've since changed it. So it doesn't really matter if we call them out on it now because everybody knows that. Everybody used to do that. Yeah. Specifically. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, that's actually funny. Yeah, no, because they, they're really, their return policy is super flexible. Also, if something like, I maybe they changed this too, but like if something like broke and they still have that same item in stock, they'll give it to you for free. I actually like did that once and I didn't even oh. have the receipt because it had been so long since I received that item. And they were like, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Five years ago and it's broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got this like five years ago. Uh <laughs> But but yeah, no, it was it's crazy. I, I don't know if they're like a little bit more strict about it in terms of like you need your receipt, but but yeah, I mean like it was a necklace and I loved it. I used to, I like wore it to bits and yeah, it eventually did break because of so much wear and tear and like yeah, uh they still had that same style in stock and they just replaced it for free, you know, questions <gasps> asked. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if that's still a thing they do. So don't hold me to that. Man, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if these companies like know. I mean, they have to know this happens. They just have to. Yeah, no, they I definitely do. Will. And that's why, I mean, I used, I worked at Neiman Marcus for one year. Yeah. And we always, we we're like right up the street from Nordstrom in San Francisco. And so we would always get people coming in trying to do that except our return policy was not nearly as lenient so I was I was very familiar with with theirs (laughs) that's great well yeah I mean as far as like the slow fashion space goes like if if you did want to know a little more about it I'm still learning honestly there are so many people that I've met through Instagram just doing this that I'm I'm learning I'm constantly learning from so for me specifically I love to represent and obviously like wear and shoot with like ethical and sustainable fashion brands. I'm sure you've heard of places like the Reformation or Everlane, of course, it's getting super big. And I think there's definitely a stigma around these types of brands that tend to be like a higher price point for a lot of people. And one thing that I can say is, you know, the whole point of slow fashion is not consuming as much. Of course, you can also argue about like the marketing campaigns that some of these brands do. But the idea behind slow fashion is, yeah, like consuming less and getting pieces that are built to last. They don't necessarily have to be the most sustainable. In in my opinion, they don't necessarily have to be the most sustainable material. Obviously, it's great if they were ethically made. I think that's definitely a huge 
thing for me. I have to make sure that like where I'm getting a lot of my items, there's transparency in terms of like the factories that they're using. But I mean, vintage and thrifting is also much more affordable alternative to just purchasing from a lot of ethical brands that do tend to be a higher price point for people. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot that's within the slow fashion space. I think one of the big things that happens that a lot of like my fellow like ethical influencer friends tend to do are they're like 10 by 10. So they basically like create a capsule wardrobe of items that are already in their closet. And for 10 days straight, they use those 10 items and build outfits with them. And it's, it's really cool. You should follow... Actually, one of the girls that does these things, she actually was with me, Anani, at Hollow Hollow Collective. Her name is May of uh, oh, May yeah. Raisa. Raisa. She's super cool. I actually, yeah, I think I, I wrote her down. But yeah, she she does those a lot. And you can find within like those hashtags for like fall 10 by 10s or spring 10 by 10s on Instagram, like a bunch of people that are in the slow fashion space that do that. I haven't actually participated and one of those myself, just because it's it's hard for me to like shoot every day with different outfits. But I think it's it's a really cool way to encourage people to kind of like get creative with their closet and encouraging less consumption. I think that's awesome. I am definitely one person that doesn't like care if I wear the same outfit. Like, okay, yeah. so so no joke. The last three conferences that I went to in the last couple of weeks. I literally wore the same attires. I was all like, these are different people. Who are they going to know? I mean, other than my friends that follow my stories, they'll notice I'm wearing the same stuff, whatever. Like yeah. I, I'm kind of, I'm that kind of person where it's like, Hey, like I, I have no one to prove. Like I have, I have nothing to prove to like anyone. I will wear the same shit. Like that's just, that's just me. Definitely. Um, yeah. Like for this winter, for example, in Virginia, it, I have learned that it gets really cold in the East coast and mm. And so I got this down coat for like the first time. Like I never bought a down coat, like one of those long coats with like feathers in it that keep you really warm. That was basically like the only thing I wore last year for winter. <laughs> and that is the same thing I'm going to wear for this winter, along with maybe a scarf. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll maybe switch a scarf on occasion, but it's typically yeah. going to be like my blue scarf and my green down coat and my thermal leggings. And the only thing that'll really change is like my underwear and <laughs> probably my top, but that's not, yes, yes. It's important to change your underwear, everyone. <laughs> Very important. Every day. Every day. <laughs> Even if you don't shower, it's so good to change your underwear. <laughs> no caps for underwear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, especially in the wintertime too, like when you're out East, like no one really cares what you're wearing. You're just all trying to stay warm. So yeah, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. I pretty much wear like, I go between like two or three different coats like throughout the year that I use. And like, I have like one scarf that I literally own one scarf actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it doesn't get that cold out here, but it definitely gets pretty cold and windy. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I've yeah, got like two. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, you both have more coats than me. So, 
there's that. <laughs> the only place where I feel like I, I had to wear a different attire was when I was in San Diego. I don't know. Like, I just felt like, not that I think people were shallow there, but I, I felt like, <laughs> I just felt like a sense of insecurity if like, I literally did wear something like two, three days in a row. But, but I would still make it work. Like, I remember when I used to go networking, like I go mm -hmm. to like three different networking events, like three days in a row. And these are all like different social groups, right? So, right. So I would just wear the same thing. <laughs> and anyway, I just, I don't know. I guess I don't really care. Like if, if anyone notices, then that's a good thing. Cause then they remember me, you know, and hopefully not because <laughs> they think I'm disgusting, but like, <laughs> that's, that's definitely not what I want. But anyway, that's just, I guess this is just me trying to like stand up for myself right now and be like, I can wear whatever I want, how often I want. Yeah. You can, yes. no shame. You, can. I, you absolutely can. <laughs> Yeah. And that's what's so great. I think about like the capsule wardrobe idea too, is like, just work with what you already have. People aren't really going to care what you wear. I mean, to a certain extent, you like love to present yourself well. as someone who loves fashion. Like I love seeing trends and, and I, it's something that I'll always kind of like research at the end of the day though. Like no one really cares. Like it's about the energy that you bring to mm. a room. And yeah, whatever, right. like whatever you're passionate about. But yeah, so capsule wardrobes are great. Repeat outfit offenders, like Unite. <laughs> so <laughs> I get it. I get it. I love it. Yeah. I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I have to, I have to like explain myself, but I feel like I've, I've already over explained myself. So I'm, just, I'm done. I'm done. I just, yes, I'm a, a repeat outfit offender. It's fine. I'll I'm embrace that. You, girl. <laughs> I totally yeah. get it. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to add one more note before we yeah. uh, move on. But um, I do like the idea of like paying more for items right. because a lot of times they do last longer. And wherein if you got if you get something like at Target or Walmart, it's like it's kind of like the difference between shopping there versus I don't know what, what's a high end version of Walmart and Target. Does anyone know? I have, I have, <laughs> gosh, I can't. Maybe I like can't a Kohl's. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, or like off fifth, or like one of those like last call by Neiman Marcus or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically, yeah. it's like it's it's kind of like the difference between like yeah, you could buy something cheap, but yeah. it'll break and wear or tear faster. And, and then, then if you're going to have to purchase something again, which sucks. Yeah. So in the long run, you're actually spending more on cheap things than you are on like high quality things that are more expensive, but they, they really do yeah. last longer. It's kind of like, like one thing I learned last year when I started keto diet is like they, they encourage you to eat high quality fats, meat and veggies. And at first I was like, man, this is like really expensive. Like how many times can I go to Whole Foods? But what you find... Right. What you find is that you're less hungry because right. you are consuming, like you're consuming more nutrients mm -hmm. versus like if you just eat bread or something or you go to like a fast food restaurant, like you're hung, you're almost hungry, like a couple hours later where like, exactly. So I think that's kind of, I feel like that's a the really theme good of analogy. Perfect. Sorry, okay, good. I I, my second <laughs> analogy sounded so much better than my first analogy. That's good to know. <laughs> no, that, sounded, that was, that was perfect. That was super spot on. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. Like, it, obviously these price points aren't good like with some of the ethical fashion brands like the price points aren't going to necessarily be for everyone but if you're doing your research and if you really need something if you really need to replace something it's better to find a quality ethically made item as opposed to just going to the nearest you know like uh i don't know chain like say h&m or whatever i and this isn't to 
this isn't to shame anybody who's shopped there, but I think another thing about the slow fashion space is making sure you do your research about where these items are coming from. There's a hashtag, I think that came out like a few years ago when there was like, so there was, I don't know if you've heard about Rana Plaza. It was out in, I forget what happened, but it was basically like a factory where they were making clothes and it just was in such horrible condition like the infrastructure was so bad that it just collapsed and there were like a ton of people that were still working there when this happened, like factory oh workers that, that died. And, and that was the price of fast fashion. And I think that really shed light for a lot of people about wanting to ask more questions about how their clothes were being made, where they were being made and who made them. And the hashtag that generated from all this was who made my clothes. If you look it up on Instagram, mm. it's like a really big movement. Fashion Revolution is a really good platform that talks about, you know, the price of fast fashion. So yeah, I mean, there's, it's really interesting to be in this niche of like ethical fashion, because there's that side where people need to be like educated on like where their clothes are coming from and who's making them and all of that. But then there's this other side of it where there's the affordability of a lot of the ethical and sustainable like fashion brands. I mean, there are some that are actually fairly affordable. I'd say Everlane is like one of the more affordable ethical fashion brands and really good for wardrobe staples. But then there are some that really just generate like such a high price point. But I think at the end of the day, it's what you choose to do and like how often you're going to be wearing those clothes. So if, if you're thinking long and hard about the item that you're trying on and asking more questions when you're at the store, you're, you're doing your due diligence and, and hopefully consuming less that way. Wow. That's awesome. I dig it. Yeah. I feel like I feel like there should be a, a fashion documentary. Like there's all these food documentaries that yeah. talk about like where's your clothes really from <laughs> and and everything. But Kara, I have learned yeah. so much from you today uh, about the fashion industry. So thank, thank you. you. And well, coincidentally enough, there actually is a documentary about fast fashion and I can't remember the name of it. I I know it's on Netflix, but what I can send it to you later actually if you'd like. Once I yeah. Out what it is. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. If you find it, you can just DM us and then I'm happy to add it in our show notes later. Great. That's awesome. Hey, everyone. So I went down this rabbit hole of understanding what fast fashion was. And I wanted to add the movie that I believe that Kara was referring to in this part of our interview. So if you want to learn more about fast fashion, and slow fashion, fast fashion versus slow fashion. <laughs> uh, a really good documentary uh, is called The True Cost. Now, it used to be on Netflix. I was, like I said, going down this rabbit hole of trying to find this movie. And it looks like in the past it was on Netflix. It's no longer on Netflix from what I'm finding. But if you do want to learn more about fast fashion and what it's really costing us, uh, check out The True Cost. Their website is truecostmovie.com. And I'll just read a little snippet from their website just so you can learn a little bit more about it. The True Cost movie uh, is a story about clothing. It's about the clothes we wear, the people who make them, 
and the impact the industry is having on our world. The price of clothing has been decreasing for decades while the human and environmental costs have grown dramatically. The True Cost is a groundbreaking documentary film that pulls back the curtain on the untold story and asks us to consider who really pays the price for our clothing. So check it out, truecostmovie.com. I'll also include it in the show notes. Like I believe, I don't believe it's on Netflix anymore. Hope that helps and I highly encourage you all to check it out. All right, let's get back in. Cool, cool. All right. Well, we're going to shift gears into my favorite part of the show. I mean, every moment is my favorite, but this is like my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So the purpose of the Filipino American Woman Project is to publish a book which which will have a collection of life lessons and stories told by the Filipino American woman. And so for this part, Kara, you had mentioned in your notes that you're still trying to figure out life lessons as well. And, yeah. But the one thing that you feel like you can take away from the last couple of years has been about investing in yourself and your ideas and not be afraid to take that leap. And so I'd love for you to elaborate on that. And you did mention that you realize this in the last couple of years. I'd like for you to share a story, maybe a, a series of stories that really led you to this life lesson of investing in yourself. Okay, well... I, this, this goes back to just like from being born, I, there was a dynamic and it's a dynamic that a lot of first gen Filipino Americans and just minorities probably tend to feel like the weight of achieving more Mm -hmm. and achieving it the way that is considered most successful to your parents or grandparents or or whoever, or father or mother figures. So I think because of that, that my anxiety might have stemmed from that mindset. And I'm sure a lot of people probably struggle with that too. That probably that ends up happening. But I am pursuing a less linear path now. But for a very, very long time, I always, I rarely thought twice about the decisions that I decided to make or were, that were ultimately being made for me. And so by the time I started working and getting out into the real world, I I was kind of just going through the motions. I was doing my jobs well, but I, I wasn't, obviously deep down, I, I felt like I could find something else or I, I might have, that I wanted something else. And I think when I decided to make the switch or rather, when I decided to start the flip side, it really was like a baby step into something that I had always been thinking of doing or even tried to do back in college, but I just didn't think it was good enough or that it would generate success for me. Mm-hmm. And I think in doing that, it also, in a way, it sort of redefined what success is for me. Success for is different for a lot of people. Success is, you know, like the family, the the nice home, really comfortable 401k, you know, all of that, which is, that's stuff that I think is great and, and maybe stuff that I'll eventually have someday, hopefully. But for me right now, it's just finding contentment in what I'm doing. And for that for me is this baby that's it's the flip side it's it's having what started out as a creative outlet for me and is now something that I'm starting to actually get fair compensation for starting to hoping hoping that it generates more like compensation in the future but yeah like it's starting to and I don't know if this answers your question but yeah I, I think it started from when I was younger to pursue in pursuing a more linear path and then kind of veering off from that in I guess the last couple of years. And I think additionally, 
investing in myself or investing in oneself doesn't necessarily mean taking a huge leap of faith. It like for me can be baby steps. You know, I, I live in the most expensive city in the world, I think. And to pursue this full force for me, I'm not sure if I could do it. And so what I'm doing right now is doing it on the side until it eventually becomes more of a full-time hustle. And in the meantime, I'm working a full-time job to maintain a level of comfort, I guess. And thankfully now the job that I'll, I'll be starting soon is more aligned with what I'm actually doing. And so they're sort of merging at this point. So yeah, it's a long road ahead still, but yeah, I mean, investing in yourself is probably the best thing you can do, even if you think that it's too late. Mm. Yeah. And it's not like you have to run full force with it. It's not like you have to quit your daytime job to do it. Those pockets of time where you're like Netflixing, Netflix and chilling anyway, could be used for your passion. (laughs) Exactly. The people that actually decide to take that huge leap of faith, I totally commend you guys because like, it is hard <laughs> and it's worrisome. Like I, my boyfriend, I think he always knew what he wanted to do. Not always, but like, you know, like in high school, he pretty much found his calling after just taking like a film class. And so that stemmed his like desire to pursue it in school. And, and now full-time he's a freelancer, so, but it's tough to really it's it kind of fluctuates it kind of ebbs and flows for him in terms of like getting the gigs and so but it's doable it's totally doable it's for me it's something that i'm working towards in a slower way but i commend people who who do actually take that huge leap of faith well i was just thinking like where how you're describing where you're at on your path is i think similar it's kind of like the midway point or somewhere in the middle between kind of where i'm at and like where Jen's at too. Yeah. For me, I feel like the same way. I've always had my blog, my Notes by Nani blog since years and years ago, but I keep tearing it down every time I get insecure about it and I just scrap it and start over. And I've done that so many times that thinking of like the thought of me quitting my full-time job to invest myself 100% in that is super scary. And so I'm also kind of doing what you're doing and using my downtime and my my free time to work on that until I can find my niche and like turn it into something that actually can generate income and also trying to find ways in my current professional, like where I'm at in my in my career, also Mm -hmm. trying to find ways to integrate like more creativity into that as well. And eventually I would love to be able to tie the two together. But like you said, it's just like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get that done? Like there's no, when we were in school going to college, there was kind of this idea of, okay, well you go to college, you get your degree and then you get a job and you stay there for 40 years and collect benefits and at the end you're you're good to go when you stop working because you have that 401k money blah 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 for this path there's not really there's not a template for that we weren't taught how to navigate this space while we were in school or anywhere else really and so we're all just kind of here doing it on our own me still at like the beginning stages you're kind of like a few levels up and then Jen has been doing it for a while (laughs) so we're all kind of in the same space together and even though it seems really gray like just gray everywhere you look at least we're all here to 
support each other and, and help each other out. Exactly. <laughs> Beautifully said. And, and um, hope, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You go <laughs> ahead. It's your show. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say to not, you know, I hope you find the courage to really keep moving forward with, with what you're doing with your blog. Cause I'd love to hear what Thank you have you. to say. I appreciate that. I second that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to say like for someone that has been in this freelance entrepreneurial, whatever you want to call it, unemployment type journey for about a decade now. Yeah. I mean, the struggles haven't changed. Like it's not like I'm a millionaire or anything and I just have to give it to my husband. So the first time I pursued all of this was really a result of employment. I was fired from four jobs. And so my best friend, like consecutively in like my, my young twenties. And so my best friend was like, I don't, I don't think you're meant for that. So I, it was definitely a sign. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 I agree. And so it propelled me. Like I I got into sales, not because I wanted to, but because I had to. And I remember when I heard people that would go to school to get a degree in business, I didn't even know what the word business meant. I was like, I was like, man, that sounds like really fancy. Like, I had no idea <laughs> until I found myself in it. And I feel like those first, the first half, really the first two thirds of the decade, it was hard. Like, it, I mean, yeah, there was like three years in a row where I would double my income like every year, three years in a row. And then by the fifth year, I had lost like five of my major clients. And I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay for bills next month? And I was already, even at that time, I think it was kind of a reflection of my mindset too, because at that time, my husband and I were working more closely together. And so I, and so when we moved to the East coast, I took that as my opportunity to like work in, in his business. He says it's our business, but it's really like his vision. So that's, that's how I kind of separate it sometimes. And so if it wasn't for him, like I, I'm pretty sure, like I'm grateful that he's in my life because those initial years of trying to do it on your own are, it was so so was so hard. And I know Nani's heard me talk about this in our in our previous interviews, just how difficult it is. And even till today, and and but the good the fun thing now is my husband and I, because we are commission-based with what we right. do in our business, it, it's nice to do it with someone who kind of just like laughs about it. It's kind of like, oh, let's try to figure it out next month. And <laughs> and you know, his background. Well, he he actually was what is it? So he was a veteran, and then he became a financial advisor for about ten years. So he 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 like understands money. So if hadn't yeah. I been with someone that understands money, oh my gosh, like I I would be in a different yeah. place today. So yeah, it's hard, and it's not a sexy career at all. Like I I probably should shower more, but I'm at home <laughs> most of the time. So like he's looking at me, and just like with these calls, we're not doing them video, so I'm not wearing makeup and. <laughs> You know, all that things. That. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's not a necessarily sexy lifestyle in any way. If anyone thinks this lifestyle is sexy, like it's so not. But the reason why I do it, just in case anyone's like wondering like, well, then what's the point? Like if you're not going to get the 401k, what's the point? For me, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about the money. It's about the lifestyle. Because for me, I'm an introvert. I hate, I've hated working in, in like open, open space offices, whatever you call them, like the ones where you can like see your coworkers while you're working. I cannot do that. I cannot for the life of me. I cannot do that. Like one time I I went into a friend's, we went to a friend's like office and he was showing us like his new office and it was like behind glass windows. It was like, he got one of those corner offices. So yay him. But like the moment I walked in, like you, you just see this entire room of like desks just facing each other and there's no like separation at all. I like jokingly hyperventilated. I was like, oh my God, like how can you even 
like do this. And so I just get, I get overstimulated in those types of settings. And so it's always just been difficult for me to work an office job. But even though this journey is hard, it's like, well, any journey is hard. So you might as well pick one that like accommodates the life that you want. At least that's my philosophy. And for me, the lifestyle has been worth the struggle. So if anyone is looking for lifestyle, like this, this is, this is why I have pursued this, this crazy, unpredictable journey and everything. So yeah. I get that. I mean, and, and you're defining, you're also probably defining what success is for you. I mean, it's, it's sacrificing that level of convenience and comfort to pursue something that essentially is, well, maybe even greater than yourself. Like this podcast is, is shedding light on more than just you. It's, it's for like creating basically like a platform for people like us to have a voice. So it's, I think it's great. Thank you. And I just have to like thank my husband really because he's a big history buff and and he always like he always reminds me. For example, we're not living in a third world country. We're not going through war right now. Like we live in America. Like we live in a place where like even if you're broke, there are programs to help you like get out of that or there are programs that are willing to help you get off, you know, get back on your feet. There's right. just there's just a lot of support in general in America and and in fact, most of the most of the wealthiest people in America are immigrants because they yeah. saw the opportunity. So let's remember that. <laughs> They're really important thing to shed light on especially right now (laughs) yeah oh yes 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 Yes. without saying any more yes Yes. (laughs) well Kara we have had such an incredible conversation with you today I learned so much from you learning about your story and your background and the good work that you're doing today with slow fashion I learned so much about that today and I'm glad that I unknowingly was contributing to it by doing clothing swaps so yay me (laughs) but for people that want to learn more about the flip side and even just learn more about like ethical fashion and sustainable flat fashion, how can they get a hold of you? Well, as I said earlier, my website is in the process of being launched next month so that there will be a way to communicate with me through there soon. But in the meantime, feel free to reach out to me at the flip side at iCloud.com or you can DM me on Instagram via at the flip side with two P's. <laughs> so yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kara, for joining us today. And thank you, Nani, for co-hosting as always. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with both of you. And for our listeners, if you had missed out on any of that information on how to contact Kara, no worries. You know how generous I am. I will include that information in the show notes. You're welcome. And I also have to say and remind you all that I work really hard on those show notes. So just humor me and take a look at them. (laughs) With that said, thank you all so much. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Tune in next time. Thanks everyone. And thank you, Kara, for joining us. Bye. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure.